invite you now to rise as you are able as we receive the gospel lesson this day. And the gospel lesson comes from the gospel of St. Luke, the second chapter, beginning at the 41st verse. Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace to you all in peace from God our Father and our newborn Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all know that social networking sites have grown in popularity in recent years. There are social networking sites like Facebook, which has been around long enough now to even to change its name to something called Meta. And there's Twitter, and there's all the rest. And these things have exploded as people, especially young folks, kids really, try out new identities for other people to see online. They search for their true identity in this fashion. But I ask you this morning, how do you come to determine your true identity? Let's figure that out as we talk about two two who are really just pre-teens who show up in our Bible lessons this morning and see how they dealt with this very same challenge. Obviously, these two boys are our focus this week. That's why you heard about them. And you hear about them on the first Sunday of Christmas often. And yet, it's a pity that they are not yet models for what has become the hottest trend on the Internet. As we know, for well over a decade now, cyberspace has been dominated by social media. And these two boys, their names don't come up near as much as they should. And maybe that's because there's a clear difference between folks now and people who lived 2,000 years ago. For Samuel and for Jesus, the focus at their, in their preteen years was not about my identity or my individuality or my issues or my parents or my crappy or happy life. That's how the first social media site defined things those 20 years ago. That first, pla- that first place on the internet was called something like MySpace. Remember that one? 
Yeah, amazingly, it's still out there. I checked this week. Instead, Jesus and Samuel saw their profiles and their purpose fully housed in what I'll call his space. Theirs was a God-defined identity of a calling and of purpose. Back in the day, as the younger folks say now, there was a period of time that I call PC. Not BC, but PC, which means pre-computer. And back PC, most kids made friends the old-fashioned way, right? They did so by moving in next door or sharing common interests on the playground or having something in common as they studied in the classroom. Human interaction wasn't called social networking back then. It was just called making friends. But as we know, computers have changed the world that we live in. And now making friends requires some bandwidth, and it requires more than a few mouse clicks. Your average teen today has access to a worldwide network of something called friends, or acquaintances, or information. All of these things can affect their lives, some for better, others for worse. The growing popularity of social media sites shows us that we are in a relational revolution in our time. Founded back in 2003, MySpace became the first of those many virtual sites that we know now, places where anyone, absolutely anyone, can post information and pictures and preferences and thoughts, and they're all by and about themselves. In the years since MySpace was launched, many social media sites designed for people 16 and older have been increasingly used by people who are preteens and younger. Young folks who log on and declare or try to manufacture their own identities for the world to see. Now on the surface, this can be and, and, and often seems rather innocent. Users can arrange themselves into groups by interest or musical preferences or hobbies or schools and so on. And, and interactions take place in ways, ways that most postmodern kids absolutely love. And PC, that's mm, computer age again, pre-computer. Those pre-computer parents must uh, learn to mistrust, and we have. We mistrust those blogs, the music and video downloads, the chat and the short messages. We mistrust them because we don't understand them or we haven't yet seen them. In a sense, internet and social media now offer a virtual community where everyone can participate. Everyone. Still, that social media world defies real definition. And therein is the problem that we all face. Schools and parents have slowly been catching on since 2003 to the fact that, that kids are wild about this kind of social networking. It truly attracts them. And they've become, in schools, concerned about the implications of all of this. Kids who post their personal information on these sites are sometimes blind to the obvious personal security concerns that can arise. The wild popularity of social media has led some schools to ban these websites from classrooms, um, and they do so out of concern for the safety of the young folks and as a way to keep the kids focused on their schoolwork. The basic appeal for teens and preteens and the problem for parents, grandparents, and school officials 
is that you can never know who the person really is on sites like these. Everyone's identity is self-generated. And that self-generated identity encourages embellishment at the least and outright falsehood at the worst. Social media taps into, the one, taps into one of the key tasks of childhood. But it's a task also, we must admit, for adolescents, young adults, and those of us who are growing a little longer in the tooth. And that is discovering one's own true identity. Instead, kids and others can try out different identities and even make them up as they go. But while most adolescents and preteens are attempting to design a popular identity that will appeal to as many real and virtual friends as possible, perhaps we, we the people of the church, should be reminding them that their real identities, their authentic selves, and our authentic selves as adults are not something that we create. Instead, we find our true value and our true purpose in a vital relationship with God. What we're talking about here is not our need for self-invention or reinvention. It's about self-discovery. Unfortunately, our culture tends to teach people to invent or reinvent themselves rather to then discover themselves. To come to know oneself can only be fully realized through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so it's when we move from my space to his space that we discover who we really are. We discover who we are really destined to become. Both Samuel and Jesus had been born under unusual and somewhat miraculous circumstances, and both were dedicated to God at an early age by their parents. Samuel would minister in the temple under the guidance of a priest named Eli. In a sense, Samuel became the good son that Eli never had because his own boys were, in the Bible's words, scoundrels, scoundrels who had no regard for the Lord. Samuel didn't create a, a space to promote himself, yet, as the Bible tells us, he continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. Because of his faithfulness and because of his identity as one marked for God's service, Samuel was able to hear the whispered call of God to be a prophet among God's people, to go and announce God's judgment and God's promises to all of Israel. That same sense of call and identity marked Jesus' childhood. In the only story we have in the Bible about that period of Jesus' life, we find the young Christ in the temple at age 12. Jewish law still, to this day, considers the transition from childhood to adulthood to occur at age 13. So Jesus would certainly still have been considered a child by his parents and by the culture in which he was raised. The old adage that children are to be seen and not heard would have applied in the first century. In a culture where people were marked from birth by their gender, their genealogy, and their geographical hometown, any attempt by children to promote themselves 
like the trend in the social media generation, would have been severely frowned upon. Now, in what I read for you in the Gospel lesson, Mary and Joseph come across as good, concerned parents in this story. They've given Jesus a little bit of freedom to roam back in the caravan while it wound its way back home from the Passover feast. After all, Jesus at that point had almost reached the age of accountability. I remind you that's 13. Yet when his parents went back to check on him, he was nowhere to be found. The fear Jesus' parents experience is the same fear that drives postmodern parents in their concerns about cyberspace. It's the fear that somehow their child will be lost or worse, exploited in some way. Joseph and Mary's search was a frantic one, but when Jesus' parents finally found their boy, he was not acting like a child. He had taken his place among the teachers in the temple, engaging them in a very adult manner, and he was taking part in conversation about Holy Scripture. The thoughts and words coming from this thought-to-be child revealed that he was not your typical 12-year-old. He was not wrapped, or rather, he was wrapped up in a, stumbling all over my words this morning. He was not wrapped up in a self-centered age of personal discovery. Instead, Jesus was focused on who he was, and even more so, he was focused on whose he was. Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That was his response to his scolding mother. Even at that very young age, Jesus was being driven by a relationship with God, and he revealed that God's call was already being enacted in his life. But even the Son of God, even Jesus, needed vigilant, loving parents to protect and nurture him as he worked out his calling. So Jesus then went home. He was obedient to his parents. He honored them according to the law and grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, Luke tells us. While it's true that part of adolescence is learning how to differentiate yourself from your parents, it's also true that parents are still the primary influence in a young person's life. That circle of influence expands to include other people and groups, including we in the church. As technology and culture increasingly promote virtual relationships and isolating self-identities, it becomes more and more important for those who care about young people to provide space, time, and real relationships that will enable them to engage in in an absolutely real and positive relationship with God. It will enable them to hear God's call and enable them to become passionate about their identity as God's children and to see see their life's purpose as being about the Heavenly Father's business. It's about an intentional move away from virtuality and for our young people an intentional move toward spirituality. Our kids need to know that serving God isn't just a Sunday deal or a Wednesday night deal in this congregation and that dedicating their lives to God is a real option. Instead of asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe we should be asking them, where might God be calling you to use your gifts
to accomplish God's purpose for this world. Come to think of it, this question applies not just to the me generation. It doubly applies to the the generation, our elders. What's good for the gosling is also good for the goose and the gander. Providing social networking between God and God's people is the primary task of the church. Moving people of all ages from a MySpace life to the power of a Godspace life is the glory of the church at its best. Brothers and sisters, God's call is real and it's available to you. It's available to everyone. And it's available if each of us will only log off and listen. May this be our Christmas gift to ourselves and those we love as we celebrate Christ's birth this year. May we receive the call of the prophet. Follow me. Amen.